Hey, everybody. How's everybody doing? Give me a second here to kick into TikTok. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Happy Sunday. I hope everybody's had a great weekend. I know I had a great weekend. Today was a lazy day. I had all these plans, and I don't know about you guys. I mean, it's beautiful outside right now. Uh, but uh, I had all these plans to do things, uh, but uh, it didn't happen. I had my breakfast and started listening to the baseball game and then pff, took a nap. So here I am. I want to welcome everybody here. Uh, my name is Charlotte. I am going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue, we can get to you. It's not a problem. It might take us a while because California is a big state, but uh, we will get to you. And if we can't get to you right away, we do have mediums on staff that can phone you and talk to you about what might be what you think might be going on at your home. Uh, for everybody on TikTok, uh, I, I see you there. I cannot comment. I can't comment because I can't really see it because you're not on a big enough screen you're on my cell phone. However, uh, what we're doing today is this is our Sunday reading day. I do a show uh, Sunday through Saturday. And uh, the rest of the week shows are all paranormal-based shows or news-based shows where, where I interview guests and things like that. On Sundays, I, I read from a paranormal book. And usually it's based on a true story. We've only had a couple books that I've read that haven't been true stories. But, the, but they're based on a true story. This week is Rain No Evil, to give you guys an idea. So if you really, uh, you know, just want to kick back and relax and uh, enjoy yourself and maybe eat your dinner, or, you know, lower the lights, sit on your couch, put your fuzzies on, do whatever, um, I'm going to be reading a book to you. So that's pretty much what today is. Uh, I'm trying to do this every Sunday on TikTok. Uh, right now I'm broadcasting via TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube and Twitter. So that's where we're broadcasting to at this point. So I want to thank everybody who's come in, everybody on my Facebook feed, my, my TikTok feed, my YouTube feed, and my Twitter feed, okay? Uh, if you like what you hear today and uh, you enjoy having a book read to you, just to relax. I mean, it's kind of fun. It's a spooky book, too, trust me. Um, if you like what you hear today and you haven't done so already and you're over on Facebook, please be sure to hit that follow button. And please give me some thumbs up and some hearts and show me some love because we want to be higher in the algorithm and all that good stuff. Same thing with YouTube. If you like what you hear today and you haven't done so already, there's a little ghost. Whoa, everybody went flying. Hang on, TikTok. That wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> Let me get you back in position here, guys. Boy, that wasn't supposed to happen, was it, kids? Okay, hang on one second. Let me make the adjustments. Okay. All right, we're going to go with this. The backdrop's messed up, but okay. If you like what you... I wonder if I hit this or something. I don't know what went wrong here. Give me a second. <laughs> you got... We are real here at California Haunts Radio. Anything that can go wrong will, because that's just how it is. There we go. Anyway, if you if you happen to like what you see today, uh, here, please be sure to hit that subscribe button. There's that little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner on, the, on, on YouTube, and click on that, and that will pump, pump up that subscribe button. We have over 581 videos over there, and they're all different interviews, different different topics, because I'm a journalist. I like to vary the topics that uh, shows that we do, okay? And this is just the show that's more consistent that we do every Sunday. Like I said, it's a show where I read from a paranormal book, which is what we're going to start in a few minutes. Now, over on TikTok, I do have a goal. I have some fruit hats up there. I'm trying to reach 50 fruit hats in the next hour. If you guys could help me out with that, I'd appreciate it. And if you can't, that's fine, too. Uh, I'll take hearts. If you could just tap the screen for some hearts, I'd really appreciate it. And I'm trying to build up my likes and everything on, 
on TikTok as well. We're just starting out here. I've been doing TikTok for a little over a month, you know, consistently. So if you could help me out with that, I'd appreciate it. It's very hot in here in the studio. So I got big bright lights on me. So just uh, bear with me. So in a few minutes, about a minute here, I'm going to start reading. I got a couple of announcements to make. I have three, and I'm counting three pre-recorded videos that are going to be posted up on the Patreon. We have a Patreon site. There's a link to it, I believe, over on our, over my uh, profile on, at Linktree that for TikTok people. You can check. And, uh, yeah, and that's part of the Patreon is that you get uh, first view of any any uh, videos that are done like that, that, that are pre-records and uh, before it hits the regular uh show itself and that's usually a week to two weeks before okay so that's one of the perks plus some of our more fun guests are going to be coming on and doing one-on-one chats with you guys and psychic readings and things like that okay so without further ado 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 i'm going to uh, get the book up we are in chapter three of rain no evil and this is based on a true story we had this you know, we had michelle on our show uh talking about her experiences in the, in, in, in her house that that ended up just about demonic things that went on. And uh, she has she has a lesson to tell along with this book. There are some explicit parts in this book, so I will be kind of stalling in some places trying to figure out how I'm going to word it because I don't want to get beamed off. You know, I don't want to end up in TikTok jail or Facebook jail or YouTube jail or Twitter jail or anything like that. So I'm going to tread light. I'm going to tread very lightly with this, you know, when I hit those spots. But I think you guys will enjoy it. And uh, people on TikTok, if you stick with it, I think you're going to like the book. Okay. Again, I'm trying to reach a goal of 50 fruit hats. If you can help me out with that over on TikTok. But if, if, if anything, just just tap the screen. Show me your love. Show me some love with the like buttons and things like that. Okay. All right. Here we go. This is uh, this is right now. We're continuing chapter three, surfing for survival. Maybe. Okay, there we go. Oh, what's weird? Why is it doing that? Okay. Alex is scooping the last of the potatoes from his plate when Stranahan calls needing assistance. Stranahan's got the Patterson domestic covered, but he's got two other domestics pending and a toddler in ER with fractures from possible child abuse. There's only two other county officers in the sparsely populated Wooten County. Gilmer's got to cover the night shift, and the rookie... Yeah, I'm gonna try and get up here, get a spot record. And the rookie can't can't take a call independently yet, so Alex scurries to the basement for his uniform. While Isaac coaxes Ben to the TV room for a PlayStation match, I sit alone at the table wondering if child abusers see demons in their mirrors. Surely, if sin attracts demons, then child abusers would be at the top of Hell's visitation schedule. Even considering my marriage, try and get this in the right spot. Okay, once I hit. The sweet spot, I'll be able to just switch pages. Even during my marriage vows, me having sex with another adult can be as evil as breaking an innocent kid's arm or sticking a two-year-old in scalding bathwater. Suddenly, I hear water splat against the kitchen wall. I whip my head towards the direction of the noise. Water is dripping off the cabinets and part of the wall, but there's no water spraying now. I quickly draw the kitchen and decide not to mention the water leak to Alex today. He's got enough to deal with right now, getting called out on his day off to deal with the scum bucket child abuser. Scum buckets, as Alex calls them, aren't just criminals. They're pond scum, the most deviant of dirtballs. And it's his job to, to go and put them behind bars. When Alex charges out in his blue, in his blue stallion of a cruiser, I shuttle the boys to Tommy's house and glide off to, to, and glide off to Ridgeland's levee 
to form a plan for survival. I hate pop-ups, guys. I don't know why they're why I'm getting they're, they're supposed to be off. And glide off to Ridgeland's levee to, to form a plan for, for survival. How to either keep breathing in the same house with Alex, or how to embark on a voyage of my own and employ the universe to resuscitate me. My retreat that overlooks the Ohio River and offers a panoramic view of downtown Mud Sock Heights is all but vacant today. Must be too cold for even the addicts to buy a fix from the Marine Pharmacy on wheels. I turn off my car knowing it won't stay off long. Within a few minutes, I'm cranking the heater. I recline my seat to watch the teasing sun shine onto the river, melting the ice and creating a mist that floats along with the current. I hear children laughing as they sled ride past me and down the small hill on the remnant carpeting of snow, and it reminds me of my sister Luce. Sled riding was the only time she didn't seem to mind actually wrapping her arms around me. If you guys like what you hear, please tap that screen. Please tap that screen. I'm looking for likes. Or if you can find it in your heart to help me out with a fruit basket or two, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Well, that's what TikTok I'm over there. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Just too many of you guys. Please hit that like button, thumbs up, and all that good stuff. Back when the snows were deeper and the winters longer, Luce and I would round up the neighborhood kids and trounce off for what seemed like a mile hike to Thomas Mountain. The hill was actually only a block away, but it was our Alps complete with snow-covered chalets where neighbors from Harbor to the Sycamore streets gathered for their cider and the, co and the company as much as for the thrill of, of descent. A spackling of brightly colored coats and toboggans against the backdrop of white gave the appearance that the slope was decorative of moving, dancing bulbs. Luce would sit huddled tight between my legs. The next in line behind us would give us a push, and we were off, flying, tears streaming as the cool wind stung our eyes. On the tightly packed snow, the red sled with metal rails would transport us all the way to the edge of the road. We weren't always this lucky, but for one successful trip, we would try ten times. Mom would be home reading, a meatloaf and cream pie in the oven. Even though she wasn't out frolicking in the snow with us, we knew she would be there, ready to listen to our gigglings of snowball fights and sled tippings in a frosty bath of white. A boy screaming, a boy screaming, snaps me to the present. The windshield is fogged over, so I whip out of the car, searching toward the direction of the squeals. Standing on the river's edge is a boy who's leaning over so far he could fall in any second. Something is flailing about 15 feet out. There's no way he can reach that far. I'm beside him without feeling my feet touch the ground. My sister, he screams. I look toward the spot where I just saw the girl, but she's gone. Dang. I'm kicking off my shoes and jumping into the icy cold before I process what I'm actually doing. I'm swimming as fast as Linda Blair's neck spins, my arms slicing through the water as I try to catch sight of the girl. Where is she? God help me. I don't want to die out here. I see a dark shape bobbing barely above the surface and with one long stroke, grab a fistful of hair, yanking her to the surface and propping her head on my shoulder. She's not coughing, might not be breathing. I've never been this cold. It's hard to think, but I remember playing the drowning victim for Alex when he practiced for his lifeguard license. He had grabbed me under, under the arms from behind, said it's less likely I'd pull him under, but it's all I can do to just hold on to her. No way I can get behind her. I tuck her head to my chest and backstroke, slashing toward the shore. Just when I think the current is winning, I feel my feet sink into the riverbed. I can touch. Her elbow hits my nose. She's fighting me, but at least she's alive. 
Give me one second. I want to double check because StreamYard was having issues earlier. Okay, we're okay. Okay. Back to the book. Look at this. I dig my heels in, striving to gain leverage and get a wallop to the face again. One last heave lands me on my rear on the riverbank. I'm numb. I can't feel the boy pulling his sister from my arms, but I see him. He shakes her frigid little body. The girl's young, five years old if that. She gurgles. Her coughing sounds like choirs of angels. I have to get warm. The car, I say, as she slides her arm behind my back and presses her head into my abdomen. We all stagger up the hill, the boy and I flanking the angel in the middle, like, like we were her wings. In the car, I try to turn the key to the ignition, but I can't grip them with frozen fingers, so I have the boy do it. Kneading the palm of my hand down to my calf, I manage to remove my silk socks, extend my toes to where the heat's blowing from under the dash, and dial 911. What's your name, I say, peering through the rearview mirror and into the back seat where the girl is laying against her brother's chest. Toby, he says, rubbing her arm. The emergency dispatcher answers, and I say, need an ambulance at the Ridgeland Levee. A girl almost drowned. I got her out. Yes, in the parking lot at Ridgeland Levee. No, no, no parents here. Okay, hold on. I asked the boy, Toby, what's your sister's name? Toby says, Maddie. Well, Madison. Last name, I say? Johnson. I relay the names and hang up, reluctant to move my feet from the heat. But I need to check the girl. I turn to the back seat. The girl is so pale, it looks like she's a vampire in the Twilight series. Now that I'm getting a good look for them both, I'm certain I've not seen them before. And I know most of the kids around here. Hi, Maddie. You're going to be okay. You hurt anywhere, honey? Maddie doesn't move her head. That's snug to Toby's chest. Where you live, Toby? Pine Street, he says. With who? I ask vaguely, having learned to be tactful by dealing with the students I work with at school who are often living in dysfunctional homes. Mom and Grandma and Grandpa. Where did you live before you moved here, I ask, noting the sound of sirens echoing through the valley. Quick emergency response. One of the perks of living in a small town. Kentucky, Toby says. That where your dad still is? Toby nods as the squad squeals up beside us. A paramedic knocks on my window. I point to the back seat and tell Toby to open his door. No way I'm getting out of this toasty car. Toby and Maddie are shuffled, in, are shuffled into the back of the squad, and the paramedics ask me to join them. Says I could have hypothermia and should go to the hospital as a precaution. I'll probably get one hell of a cold, maybe even pneumonia but I don't have it now, so I sign a waiver for treatment. I just want to go home. As I push on the gas pedal, I realize I'm not wearing shoes, but I'm not going back for them. They could float down the river along with my sentiments of wanting to be buried in the deep. I want to live. I'm not sure whether I'll be living with or without Alex, but I believe I'm in the world for this reason, for a reason. I just saved that little girl and feel amazing knowing she's alive because of me. I want to feel this helpful all the time. I just have to figure out how. If you like what you hear, tap on the screen, please. Over on TikTok, tap, 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 tap. Let me, let me know you like this. How could I even have a demon in me? If I did, I would think the demon would have prevented me from performing such an honorable deed. If I don't, maybe I've earned a degree of vindication from God for saving her. At home, I walk into the kitchen where Alex is untucking his uniform shirt. He pulls a carrot stick out of his mouth and takes a gander at me. What the hell? 
Oh, I lost my turn thing. Okay. I trail across the tile floor toward him, dripping with each step, and wrap my shivering arms around his waist, thick from the bulletproof vest that's still strapped on. I lay my head on his vest-covered chest, my dreadful lock sticking to my nose my eyes, allowing the strength of the love I believe to be burning in his heart to fortify me. You're soaked, Alex says, collapsing my shoulders and prying me from his chest. I jumped in the river to get this girl, I say, wanting to stay pressed to him, but not sure how to tell him I just want to be held. You did what? He leans back and looks down at me. At the levee. That was you? You heard already? I say, finagling the wet hoodie up, up my torso. Alex's eyes soften into his wrinkled forehead, making him look more like a pug than a pit bull. He seems to care that I'm safe, but I'd sure like to hear him actually say it. He plucks my hoodie off my arms, and I stretch overhead. The ambulance got called to the levee when I was leaving the hospital. So how far out of you... How far out you have to swim to get the girl? Maybe ten feet, I say, my jeans sticking to my legs as I, as, as I worm them off. I don't know, just knew I had to get her. I'm wiped out. Go to get a bath. Suds are up to my neck when Alex steps into the bathroom wearing only a white t-shirt that barely covers his belly. He squeezes behind the door where the commode sits. There wasn't anyone else there to help her, I say, talking to Alex's back that's reflecting in the mirror above the sink, except her brother and he didn't jump in. Guess he couldn't swim, or maybe he was too afraid. I turn the faucet. I, I turn the faucet, hoping there's more. There's another update. I hate that. Hoping there's more hot water. When I grabbed her, I knew it was just like the premonitions I've had. Alex's bug-eyed expression now reflects the vanity mirror. Primo, what? I keep having dreams, premonitions, about saving babies. Oh, BS. You really believe that crap, don't you? Wish I had kept my mouth shut. Wish he'd just be proud of me for me being brave. But I know better than that to expect that. Why were you at the hospital, I ask? Picturing his goofy face spiraling down the drain of a sink. You know I had a child abuse to check out there, he says, toothpaste dribbling off his chin. What were you doing at the levee anyway? It's just a bunch of druggies. I dunk my head into the warm bubbles and wonder where all the druggies were when the girl was when the girl needed saving. They would have been numb already and not have felt the icy plunge that is if they would have attempted to save her. When I come up for error, Alex is facing me and flossing his teeth. Guess I will have to tell him why I was at the levee. I just enjoy being near the water. It's beautiful and relaxing, I say, standing up. Can you hand me a towel? Alex opens the cabinet door. Maybe if you stayed home once in a while, we'd have some clean towels, he says, tossing me a damp one from the hook on the back of the door. He raises his bushy eyebrows and chuckles. Yeah. If you like water so much, why don't you camp out in the laundry room and, wa and watch the clothes spin through the glass door of the washer? Nice guy. I wrap the towel tight around my breast, wondering what would happen to Alex if he were literally in my shoes that are probably floating downstream by now. A little concrete poured in them, and I wouldn't have to decide whether to leave him or not. He would just be gone. Car doors slam as I'm pulling on stretch pants. A few minutes later, I secure hugs from Ben and Isaac. Hugs that are a little tighter and longer than usual, and herd them to the living room couch. Their eyes shine as I describe my freezing river rescue of the girl. I'm groggy. and must have fallen asleep because the next thing I know, I'm waking up on the couch, my cheeks stuck to a squashy pillow full of drool. I remember the look of pride on the boy's face as I told them of my brave rescue. 
I could tell they admired me. They both deserve to grow up in a stable family environment, and I reckon, even with our shortcomings, Alex and I are more secure and nurturing than many families in Wooten County. I don't want to disappoint them, make them grow up in a divorced family like so many of the kids I work with at school. That seems worse than accepting Alex's disrespect. The inspiration to connect to Alex pushes me off the couch and into redemption mode. I've got to make peace with Alex. I sashay into the bedroom wearing a silky black negligee with pink hearts, not a smidgen of pimple cream on my face, and flop into bed belly first, arching my back in a cat pose. I drag myself next to Alex, who is sprawled out watching TV in his best fruit, fruit, fruit of the looms, and nudge near him. You tired, I say? Watching the flickering light from the television play across our inter intertwined legs, Alex squeezes my shoulder. Not really. A picture of Alex's red face looming over the busted drywall this morning skitters across my mind and lingers for a few minutes, his hand on my shoulder. Dang it, Savvy, can't you do anything right? Releasing the images and sounds from the past, I join the more vulnerable Alex, the one that's in my bed, and focus on the one foolproof thing I know I can do right. It's the only common thread we seem to have, and I'm gripping it until it I'm gripping it until the rope burn slices my hand. If I have to swallow my disgust for Alex along, I have to swallow my disgust for Alex. In order to maintain the pretense, that is all well with the Templetons. That's what I will do. Yes, indeed. By having sex by uh, if by having sex with Alex, I can maintain a bond with him that will present the preponderance of a stable family unit for my two boys, then I will gladly spread my legs farther than the wishing bone from the Thanksgiving turkey. If you guys like what you hear, please hit please hit the screen for those like buttons. Please let me know. We do this every Sunday. Same thing, TikTok, uh, same thing for YouTube and all those other places. Show me how many likes we can get. Maybe, maybe we can get to 1,000 likes today. See if we can get to 1,000 likes. Inching closer to my hubby, I lower my cheek until it, get, it grazes his massive chest. He smells of Irish spring. I close my eyes, teasing his belly button with my finger. So did the guy uh, Patterson put up a fight when you got there? Alex strokes my head. Nope, he knew better. Didn't even use handcuffs. Just threw him in the back of the cruiser. I once suggested Alice cuff, cuff me. Make me his prisoner and get dirty with me in the back of the cruiser. But he laughed and told me it was an improper use of county property, even though I know the dirt in his cruiser isn't just from the dirt balls he rolls into. His cruiser seats have, have fondled more than one bare woman, even if he insists it's off limits for such purposes. I know I don't have a right to care, but it still hurts to know that he had an affair with Carrie and the others before her. Sex is one thing I do with Alex's satisfaction. And knowing someone else could satisfy him too makes me feel that the one talent I can demonstrate to Alex that is exclusively mine isn't good enough either. Ryan would crank those metal conduits to machoism on in the heartbeat, but Alex can't be that playful with me. Alex and I have our sex mapped out in our heads before our lips even touch. To venture into playfulness with Alex would be to expose my girly side. The sweat, the sweet, silly, childlike side that giggles and cries and doesn't have all the answers. That frilly side of me I can only let other men see. <clears throat> they can't hurt me like Alex can. I actually care what he thinks of me. I love him. Suddenly it occurs to me that if I'm seeking sex with other men, not for the sex, but for the satisfaction of feeling like I can accomplish something on my own without Alex, without it knowing, without his knowing or ordering or, or smart-ass remarks, 
Maybe he has sex with other women because he wants to experience a part of his life without me. Maybe he wants something he's missing that he can't find with me. If that's why he's messed around on me, I can accept his indiscretions. But I don't know if talking with him about it is a good idea. Talking seems to always create more problems than we already had. I kiss Alex. I kiss his abdomen, leaving a trail of moisture from his chest. Where I stay, gifting him. His hands press on my shoulders, stopping me. His strong arms pulling me onto him. You can make a living at that, babe. I wish he'd remain si my silent prisoner rather than attempting to say something nice. The idea of making money from seeing someone's privates in my mouth makes me want to gag. But it's Alex's idea of compliments, so I say, well, thank you, sir. He always manages to put your compliments until there's nothing left but Miss Bone. You probably already are, he says. How much are you charging? I spit out, and if if I charged, it would, it would be toward him with a machete, not an invoice. I'm glad my bangs are hanging over my eyes, obscuring his crass, his crass face from view. The thought of looking in, into his eyes right now makes me feel sleazier than I feel ple pleasuring men I'm not married to. At least with Ryan, I expect he wants me for sex, but Alex is supposed to enjoy my company so much he wants to rock in the golden years with me, or so he told me years ago. I'm not answering his question. He won't believe me if I tell him I'm being faithful. I should tell him that I just want to feel appreciated, that I want to feel capable and successful when I'm with him, not like some peon he orders around. But I just climb on top of him and rear my head like a blonde-haired stallion that I... Okay, if you guys like this, tap that, tap that screen, show me some love, send me some likes. Same thing over on the other channels. Be sure to give me some thumbs up and some hearts and stuff. I really appreciate it. But keep tapping TikTok. We're looking for a thousand likes for this read. One thousand likes. He clutches my face, looking up my neck until our lips meet. His tongue twirls, making me feel like I just got off the scrambler at the carnival. He never lets me control his tongue for more than a second. Although he's obsessed with manipulating every word that rolls off mine. I feel him inside me and imagine that he's a total stranger. He's never hurt me or loved me or held our newborn in his arms. He's just a man who can hoist me into oblivion with each jab into my delicate hole. I'll go with that one. Told you guys, there's some stuff I gotta try and work around. I'm a cowgirl tonight, riding his horse till it sweats, or at least until I can buy a beer. <laughs> the country tune plays in my head until I climax, climax to numbness. For a few trots, anyway, cowgirl down. All right, we're at chapter four. I hope you guys are enjoying this. And please be sure, if you haven't already on TikTok, tap that screen. Tap that screen. This is based on a true story of a haunting uh, back east. And uh, she's written this book. All right, same thing with YouTube and Facebook. Please give me those thumbs up and those likes. Raining Babies, chapter four. A headache and Alex wishing me a happy birthday, old woman, wakes me. Older women are hot, he says, rolling out of bed and smacking my rear that's buffered by the quilt. Just four months older, I say, turning so his kiss will land on my cheek rather than my mouth that tastes like a frog. I nuzzle my cheek against his stubby chin and sigh. He remembered my birthday. Alex slips on the overhead light and scavenges his drawer, probably in search of black knee highs with elastic that hasn't dry rotted. 
I got to get new socks, just like these, he says, displaying a pair he pulls from the drawer like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat. He sits on the edge of the bed and slips on his fine. Where do you want to eat tonight? Eat, I say, cornerstone quarry Mexican. He tugs at his second sock. Didn't know we were going out tonight, but the quarry sounds good, I say, hopping out of bed. Next weekend, we're celebrating Luces and mine together. One cake, less calories. I always take you on your birthday, don't I? You get everything you want. Alex's soft brown eyes, the ones I fell in love with, seem to plead for reassurance that my heart's still in cadence with his. He sinks his hands into the mattress and leans forward to get up, but I step between his legs and tell my cleavage is a breath away from his face. My hand sculpts his prickly jaw jawline. Yes, I smile. Yes, you do feed me well. I'd like to tell him that I have everything I've ever dreamed, but it's too early in the morning to finesse that lie. I wrap my hands around the back of his neck and pull his head towards my chest. You got yourself a date. Alex tenderly kisses my breast, and I hope the tranquilizing effect lingers with me all day. After school, the boys squirrel away in the basement playroom with the Xbox and a snack while I flip through my closet in search of my favorite mint-colored sweater. I'm spraying perfume on my neck in anticipation of the romantic birthday dinner Alex promised me this morning when my cell rings. Hey, I'm not going to make it for dinner, Alex says. Sorry, babe. Meant to call earlier. Balls to the wall all day. I'm starving. Haven't eaten since breakfast. Can you get me a few snacks together? He doesn't wait for an answer. I'll stop by in a few to pick him up. Got a possible murder. Might be tied to the mafia case. A body just washed up on the riverbank in Coraltown. I slap peanut butter and jelly sandwiches together, throw the standard snack for such, such an occasion, protein bars and Rice Krispie treats into a plastic Walmart bag, some bottled water and sweet tea into another. Alex isn't the lunchbox type of guy. Carrying one for lunch would be considered gay, but bungee the same, but okay, but bungee the same, bright yellow lunchbox on the back of an ATV or four-wheeler, as referred to in these parts, and it's a redneck necessity. The screaming siren beats Alex home. I slip on my shoes, making it outside just as an unmarked SUV careens into the driveway. Alex rolls down the window and plants a kiss on my cheek as I hand him the food and asks, know, know anything else? Just some woman walking along the flood, flood wall path found a body, male, and the crime scene team's already on its way. Stranahan's there and says there's a, bull, there's a bulldog tattoo on the guy. Could be an informant of mine who was helping me build a drug case against the mafia. Alex pops the cap off a of sweet tea the contents spraying his pants and steering wheel. Crap, he says. Anyway, could be a mafia hit. I'll call you later. I send a prayer with him as he squeals away and asks God and ask God to protect him and all those who guard the community with diligence. I'm proud of Alex, even though the intrusion on our private lives requires adaptation and patience, especially <clears throat> excuse me, after the move from Ridgeland's rural countryside to Aspen Road, the main road leading to the country seat of Coral Town. The location, although heavily trafficked, can really be considered can't really be considered town. Not when a rooster can be heard crowing from the neighbors in the back and a goat bleats from a few houses down. I stand in the driveway admiring my white two-story house, porch wrapping around the side like a hug awaiting loved ones. I just love this place. The structure houses some of my dearest memories, like the Christmas Alex sawed down the Chevy Chase tree that was so tall Ben, who was five, could sit under the lowest branch. And last summer, when I talked to Alex and foregoing the grass mowing to play badminton in the backyard and sit Indian style with only a blanket between us and the ground, just when I, just like when I was a kid. 
The graham crackers we dipped into plastic cups of applesauce that day left a taste of happy in my mouth that I couldn't get enough of. What I wouldn't give to mummify that unpretentious Alex. I want to collect more of those types of memories, but the rusted bronze plaque that reads Templeton's Established 202 hanging above the garage door makes me wonder if there will be an end date, like a tombstone epitaph, or if Alex will learn to embrace the simple side of me, the side that enjoys picnicking more than pretending to be perfect. A few more police cars go screeching by, and I wave and watch as the cars pull off the road to let them by. The dog's trying to get in. Movement is constant in front of my house. Cargo trains clacking along the railroad tracks across the road. Barges heap with coal putting along the river. Cars and trucks zooming past the 55-mile-per-hour zone. Even four-wheelers and golf carts bumping by one oh, by on the side of the road. Well, usually on the side. A few brazen souls maneuvering a form of transportation not roadworthy, including riding lawnmowers, often veer into the middle of the lane after snapping their heads around and noting that Taze Templeton isn't perched on the porch. Alex earned the nickname because he doesn't utilize his taser. He doesn't have to. His reputation is his main weapon. If that isn't enough, his fists usually are. More often than not, a vehicle ventures into our drive carrying a victim who hopes Taze is home to give advice or offer assistance for a wrong, for a wrong that needs to be righted. When he isn't available, I smile and take messages for everything from incorrigible children to where to find the best of this year's crop of wacky weed. But being in secretary mode at home and during my routine teaching day on grocery runs and during kids' ball games requires a cordiality that I'm always, I'm not always eager to disperse. All right, guys, if you still like what you hear, keep tapping that screen. Keep tapping that screen. I'm looking for a thousand likes. Let's see if we can get to a thousand likes. Just keep tapping that screen. I know you guys can do it. All right, Facebook and, and YouTube, same thing. Show, show, show me some love. Show me some love. Members of the community may mistake my softness for conceit, especially when I struggle to identify the, fa the familiar face or name. But Alex knows everyone, and I'm expected to as well. My house serves as the community's lost and found drop-off, with many items hand handed to me through a half-open screen door, a shotgun, a pack of pills, a random person's driver's license found in the woods. I know exactly which window gives the best vantage point of the driveway while providing adequate concealment and which one for the side door or the front door, depending on where the do-gooder or drug dealer happens to head. At a glance, I ascertain if during the exchange I will, I'll be more comfortable outside or, on a rare occasion, extend an invitation inside. This strategy works quite well for me, given the person isn't on foot. Like the, like the evening, a knock at the unused door transported in a barefoot lady, blood spattered on her face and neck, stammering about how her husband was hurt, and she needed to use the phone to call an ambulance. While I turned to get the phone, wielding the standard interrogation, where did she live, and how did her husband get hurt, the feeble stranger hobbled across the living room, pointing north to indicate her place of residence, and described hitting her dear hubby over the head with an ashtray. Minutes later, Alex, who had run upstairs to put on a pair of shorts over his undies, entered the room and admitted that getting a confession that quick was not too bad for a novice, especially since I didn't have to dunk the assailant's head in a commode to get it. Alex's dedication to justice often trumps acceptable moral standards. Harboring the means to benefit the community at large seems to be an unrecited creed, which the officers in Alex's command, and thanks to them, citizens in Wooten County leave their doors unlocked, at least in the daytime. 
Alex's methods may be rustic, even severe, but he's the good guy. The one a person wants on his side when his child's molested or his home shot up and burglarized. Or like tonight, when a murderer may be on the loose. Mom, hey, where's Dad going? Ben says, crunching through the gravel drive toward me and clicking the channels on the portable scanner that's in his hands. So often it seems to be an extra appendage. I cock my head and smile. What? You mean you don't know already? Ben scrunches his mouth. Well, I heard a DOA. Is that it? He's out on dead body? I drape my arm around his shoulder and we walk as we walk around the house to the cadence of radio static. You got it. A dead body on the riverbank in Coral Town. Might be a mafia hit. That's all I know. Wow. Do we really have mafia? I thought those were just in big cities like New York. He stops clicking channels and lifts the radio to his ear. The dispatcher repeats, Control the CN1. CN1, go ahead, Alex says. CN1, CN5 wants you to public service him. Alex gives a 10-4 while I follow Ben into the kitchen. You know what public service means, I say? Yeah, they want Dad to call on the phone. To call Stranahan. He's five. Right. Must be information too private for the radio. I stack plates from breakfast in, into the dishwasher and notice there's been no water spraying inside the house today. So, Ben says, opening a pack of peanut butter crackers and seeing I've spaced out, adds, what about the mafia? With all of Papa Cal's old police stories, I'm surprised you haven't heard the mafia ones, I say. Ben went around here for years. Cool, I'm asking Papa as soon as I see him, Ben says. Asking Papa what, Isaac says, running in and grabbing a bag from the snack drawer. Dad's out on the DOA, Ben says. Man, Dad's job is awesome. I can't wait to be a cop. If you like what you hear over on TikTok, please please tap that screen. Tap that screen. Show me some love. Um, you know, I'm looking to build everything up. I'm starting out just like anybody else, so help me out. Same thing for YouTube and all the other channels. Help me out, you guys. What's a DOA, Isaac says, chouncing on a pretzel. Dead on arrival, Ben says. Duh. You guys want to go out to eat with your mama for her birthday? Your dad was going to take me out, but someone had to go and get murdered. Ben's jaw drops. Oh, happy birthday, Mom. I can tell Ben feels bad for not remembering. So I spread my arm, calling out, Hugs from my babies. Best gift a mom could ask for. Ben squeezes me tight. Yeah, happy birthday. Where are we going, Isaac says, pulling open the door without grabbing his jacket. Doesn't matter to me, I say, trailing behind my little man. Anything I don't have to prepare sounds good. Alex is still out when we return from our celebration, so I send the boys to tackle their homework as I switch on Sex in the City and fantasize about being a cool, single Carrie Bradshaw, riding by day riding by day after and I'm gonna say it screwing by night after a fabulous dinner at the trendiest of restaurants. Bradshaw's comical search for true love gives me hope that I won't have to always settle for a hamburger and a quickie bent over the seat of a Harley. With Central Park in the background, Carrie tells Mr. Big, I've done the merry-go-round. I've been through the revolving door. I feel like like I met somebody I can stand still with for a minute. And don't you want to stand still with me? I'm wondering if Alex and I will ever stand still and just enjoy being with me. When my cell buzzes, I ignore it, opting to participate in my own, in my on-screen life. But after numerous dings, I check out my texts, most of which are from nosy people I rarely hear from. Word about the body is out, and nothing makes friends for me faster, faster than a possible murder. None of the prying people even know it's my birthday, but they sure know my cell number when they want the latest scoop. There was no announcement at school today from a well-wishing co-worker making fun of my age. No cake in the teacher's lounge with my name on it. 
Oh, Joan. Oh, Joanne, would you have brought a cake if she'd have remembered? But her years of service to the kids of Ridgeland High have worn her down, and her memory isn't what it used to be. A paralyzing thought grips me. I may be as unlikable to my co-workers as Alex is to me. If I seem that bossy, arrogant, or obnoxious, then no wonder. I haven't had one... Okay, I moved my spot. Okay. I haven't had one cake presented to me at school in the grungy teacher's lounge during the 12 whole years I've worked there. But Mrs. Z gets cakes, even casseroles on her birthday. And no one's more snobby than she is that shoots my theory. I don't know why I care about what my co-workers think anyway. I'll buy my own damn cake and eat a sliver of it. Not three slices and waddle down the hall complaining about my rheumatism. An alert flashes across the screen of the local cable channel. Body washes up in Wooten County. More on this breaking story on Tri-State Tri News at 11. I head to bed and indulge a few friends with texted tidbits I can share. The body is male. A few ladies walking on the floodwall path found it. And yes, the crime scene team was called out hours ago. I fall asleep with the phone in my hand, and at 2 a.m. I'm vibrated awake by a call from Alex and put him on speaker. I'm pretty sure it's my informant, Hank. He was a Marine, and the bulldog tattoo on the body has letters USMC. What's that mean? I say squinting and scrolling through my text. United States Marine Corps. It's not going to be an easy one. Going to take a lot of resources. No leads yet, but I'll be out all night with CSI. Okay, love ya. I say hanging up and, and clicking on a text that my love bear, Ryan. Click, click on a text from my love bear, Ryan. He wants me to come over tomorrow evening, but doesn't mention my birthday. I figure I'm tired and feeling oversensitive, so I decide to wait till morning to respond to him. I drift off to sleep where I'm ass deep in a hammock at Hilton Head with a cocktail in my hand and a drizzle of afternoon sun kissing my skin through the palm tree I'm under. I'm swaying to the rhythm of the reggae when a body washes onto the shore, belly distended, and a stiff, cold hand reaches out and grabs my arm, pulling me under. I kick furiously, trying to keep my head high enough to breathe, but I'm choking on the water, filling my lungs, and rain is falling on my head. Suddenly, it's raining more than rain. It's raining babies. Plop. Splat. They're falling all around me as I gasp for air, wanting to save them, wanting to catch them. But are they dead already? No. I hear them crying. I awaken to the shrill sound of my own screams in a sweat, panting, praying for babies I can't save. I grope the various bottles in my nightstand until I feel their groove lid on the excedrin and pop two in my mouth. I'm tired of dang baby dreams and headaches. It's 5 a.m., and Alex's side of the bed is unoccupied. I rest my hand on his pillow, hoping he is safe and wondering how I would feel if he never came home. A moment of relief with the idea of being free from him, followed by the guilt of such a thought convinces me I'm damn well don't deserve a cake from anyone, not from co-workers who only pretend to like me, or from my hard-working husband who was supposed to take me out to dinner tonight. In the morning, I waved at Isaac from the end of the driveway where he's climbing onto the school bus while Ben cranks up the heater in the car. Isaac prefers not to ride the bus to the elementary school. I'd drop him off if I didn't have to wake up 15 minutes earlier to get him there. Plunking into the driver's seat, I smile at Ben. Nice. Not one grinding sound. Ben beams as I back out of the driveway. How old were you when Papa taught you to drive? Mom? Nine, sweetie. Geez, I'm 14. I get to practice with him this summer, right? Guess so. Dad's cruiser is not here. He's been out all night? Ben asks. Yep. He called in the middle of the night. The body might be an informant he was working with named Hank. 
Mom's the word, you know. Ben dips his head to, to, to the obviously redundant remark. Excuse me. As we pull into campus, students are disembarking from the first fleet of buses in front of the junior high doors. Not a moment early to, not, not a moment too early as usual. Mom, you still got those cookies in your room? Stocked up just for you, I say, pulling into my spot. Good, I'll be in at lunch with Cole and Andy, he says, hopping out and joining the stream of students, heading through the doors to the illusion of enlightenment. Remember, if you like what you see, tap that screen, tap that screen, see if we can get a thousand likes, see if we can get a thousand likes. Grinning, I grab my tote bag and scurry to within a few steps of him. Sure, bring them all. Convenient being at the same school with your old mama. Huh? And last year, you thought it would be embarrassing. Just keep bringing, just keep bribing me with food, old woman, Ben says, his jaw opening wide. I look at my oldest son, his face contorted like Jim Carrey's in the mask, and I snort out an impromptu laugh, knowing this connection is what life's all about. Ben holds the main door open until I walk through, dodges, dodges through the throng of kids, and finds the bench by the office where his best bud, Cole, is waiting on him. It's the same routine every morning, but today an inexplicable joy fills me. I feel like royalty, and I'm sure it's because Ben introduced a little humor into my rigid lungs. When Ben gets married, I hope he treats his wife with respect and allows room for humor in his life. More than anything, I hope that Alex's behavior hasn't damaged either of the boys to the extent that it has me. Uranus has rings around it, a male voice says. I snap my head around in the direction of the comment. Two seventh-grade girls bump against me, jarring my lunch bag as they look over their shoulders and snicker at a boy about their age that must have made the remark. Sorry, Mrs. Templeton, one of the girls says. I glare at the boy and say, language alert. That's usually enough to cease inappropriate talk and keep from having to write up every cuss, <clears throat> every cuss word I hear in a day. But today, the smile on his face pisses me off, and my hand goes to my hip. Oh, he says, that was a joke. Mr. Ding has told it in science. You know there's a planet called Uranus. Good old Mr. Dingus, I say, shaking my head and remembering why I avoid the slap-happy 7th and 8th grade side of the building. Unless I'm taking a Tylenol to bed or collecting makeup assignments for a sick student, I'm content with the high schoolers who just skip class and fall, or fall asleep in it. When I subbed at the elementary level, I knew pandering to the younger audience wasn't for me. Teaching high school has its advantages. No early morning duty with cute, little crusty-eyed people needing help opening milk cartons and ripping foil off plastic cereal bowls. All I have to do is lumber in as the bell rings, toss my lunch in, in, into my mini-fridge, and stand in the hall listening to teachers and students gossip amidst the flammable lockers. If there are rumblings of a fight or a breakup or even a teacher firing for misconduct, this is the time to collect the tantalizing data. I sign the attendance log in the copier room by the office and hurry along the corridor, reaching my room a few doors down just as Mrs. Zavitz is opening her classroom door across the hall. With a mangled mouthful of what appears to be her favorite breakfast, a sausage biscuit, she summons me over by tossing her head like she's fly fishing. I trudge away. Mrs. Z gulps, diverting her bulging eyes toward the floor and covers her mouth as if she's calling plays for the Super Bowl. I saw the news about the body last night. Do you know who it was? I glance down the hall. Mr. Feldman's holding a dingy styrofoam coffee cup and talking with Tess, the custodian. Feldman's eye catches mine, so I rest my bags on my feet and motion for him and Tess to join us. Huddle around like students buzzing about the latest suicide attempt. My peers lean in while I share slivers of inside information about the murder, making sure to omit the name Hank, because no one's dropped it yet. 
After repeating the same report all morning, I'm tempted to say that I know nothing. But I feel special knowing things other people don't. Like which soccer mom is porking the preacher, which attorney has a finish for getting defecated on, and which principal masturbates on the football bleachers and when he, when he thinks no one is watching. I know I'm being manipulated because most of the people who talk to me, like I'm their long-lost friend when they want to know something, usually don't acknowledge I exist. But I can resist the feeling of importance that providing information gives me. After school, Isaac, who rides the bus from his elementary school to mine, clamors through my classroom door and zip lines to the cookie cabinet. I'm hungry, he says, plopping on, onto the counter where Ben's sitting and munching on a cookie. Fortunate for me, tonight's two for Tuesday at Pizza Bravo. Buy one pizza, get one free. Perfect for two hungry boys and one tired mom. So we drive off to the deal. Ben is jabbering to Isaac in the back seat about how seventh grade classes are much harder than Isaac's fourth grade ones and how Mr. Dingus's two whole pages of homework is proof when Alex calls. Where are you, Alex, Alex says. The boys and are, I say. Suppose it'd be too much to ask for you to cook dinner tonight, he laughs. My heart shrivels up like a boiled pea. I remind myself that he's probably just tired from working all night. I wait for him to continue, holding the phone tightly to my ear so the boys won't hear their dad's sarcasm. Alex continues, I'm home. You going to the store? There's not a doggone thing here to eat. I take a breath and try to sound cheerful. Actually, I'm on my way to Pizza Bravo right now. You know, every Tuesday. I've, I've ate like crap all day. I wanted... Never mind. My foot slips off the accelerator. I've disappointed him again. But how would I know what he's eating today? I want to get something right. Seems I could at least provide a suitable dinner for my husband. The boys want pizza, but if you'd rather have a sandwich or spaghetti, I can get that. I offer. Isaac says, do you get one with just cheese and pepperoni? Did you get one with just cheese and pepperoni? I tell Isaac that I did. And Alex says, all right, get the ham sandwich. So, is this, is the body Hank? I ask, searching for any objective topic. You get any sleep? Alex's voice softens. A few hours, and yep, it's Hank. His sister identified him a few hours ago. I relax my grip on the wheel. You think he was murdered? Holy cow, Savvy. You think murder gets solved overnight? I'm not sure what just happened, but my head is ringing like it's being gonged in a copper pan. Okay, I just wondered, I say, feeling stupid. Thought maybe you pulled a little Sherlock out of your pocket. Sherlock, what are you talking about? Nothing, I say, pulling into Pizza Bravo. I gotta go. I park the car, feeling as if I'm trying to run through water. The hopefulness I felt yesterday when Alex kissed my chest is gone. And frustrated gurgles inside me, churning. Frustration gurgles inside me, churning. My stomach like curdled milk. Why does every conversation with the man I love have to be so excruciating? Chapter 5. So you guys want to hang around for one more chapter? And I'll do a challenge for chapter 5. How's that sound? Because... I really started reading at uh, 6.39, so I like to go a whole hour. And for those of you just tuning in on TikTok and over on, on, on the other apps, I do this every Sunday. I read for an hour from a paranormal theme book, and this is based, it's called Rain No Evil. It's based on a true story of what happened to this family. Okay? I know we haven't really got to a lot of juicy parts, but it'll get there, I promise. Um, okay, so here we go. I'm going to continue. We're in Chapter 5, so here we go. Water Springs Eternal. Alex is placing his gun on top of the refrigerator as we step inside the house. 
Before I can intercept, the question might set Alex off. Before I can intercept, the question might set Alex off. Ben's asking him if the guy that they found was murdered. Alex punches Ben in the arm, mock Rocky style. It's looking that way. The skull had a bullet hole, shot with close range. Should have the autopsy next week. I gingerly place paper plates on the counter. I guess it's I guess it's just me who's not allowed to ask about the murder. Hank was a damn good guy, Alex says, unwrapping the togi. We're going to rattle some cages and see what kind of rodents come out. I'm impressed with his use of rodent instead of the ordinary rat. Not that he's stupid, but he's just not into words the way I am. I edited his, his essays in college, and for a second, I'm back in that hard wooden chair punching the manual typewriter in Alex's dorm room that smelled of sweaty football cleats and, and pee. Alex is screaming at me because I ran out of typing paper. Next thing I know, he hurls a lamp toward me. I duck and call him an a-hole. But still, fetch another ream. But still fetch another ream like a good little doggy does a bone. Mom, pass the pizza, Isaac says. I swipe the tear that's escaped to my cheeks and resolve to not think about the past. I can't change it anyway. After dinner, the boys head upstairs and crank the volume on their televisions so high I can't tell. So high that I can tell what episode of Full House they're watching. I wiggle next to Alice on the leather couch that's toasty from the fireplace and stare at the TV that's playing the season finale of Bird Notice. I squeeze Alex's leg, but he stares ahead like I'm invisible. I wonder what it would feel like to be a butt-kicking bitch like Fiona, independent and confident. What would she do if she was married to Alex? Would she waltz out the door and not look back? Halfway through the show, Ben bounds to the living room with his hand on his head. Did you hear me, Mom, he says. Where the heck did it come from? What come from? I say, glancing back to my show in time to see Fiona spiral, spiral kick to a hug his head. Water just dripped on my head. What? In the hall, Ben says, motioning for me to get up. Water dripped on my head. I glance at Alex, who's, who's tuned out everyone's voice, except those coming from his entertainment box. Keep tapping that screen if, if you like what you hear. We do this every Sunday. Keep tapping that screen. It's getting late, Ben, I say. Did you get your homework done? Ben wrinkles his mouth, snags a cookie from the kitchen, and runs upstairs. Twenty minutes later, I'm building a virtual bomb with Fiona, and when Ben yells, Mom! I snap back to the reality of a warm couch under my leg and a cold husband to my left. Oh, yes, dear one. I got dripped on again. My Ben, always goofing off. I burst out in song. Raindrops keep falling on my head. They keep falling. Mom, I'm serious. Well, heck, I push myself out of the recliner and join Ben in the stairway where he's staring at the ceiling directly above him. I follow his gaze to a perfectly dry ceiling. Here, Ben says, pointing to a dark spot on the carpet step by his foot. <clears throat> I rub my finger along the damp carpet. Did you have a drink in your hand? Ben shakes his head. I stare at my oldest son like I do at the students who tell me their mom cleaned out their book bag and threw their homework away. Ben's eyes bulge. Mom, I'm telling you something dripped on me. Heck, honey, I don't know. I say heading down the stairs. The ceiling's dry. Don't worry about it. Just finish your homework. I'm enjoying the last scene of the show when Ben tricks down to it and announces water dripped on him again. I swing my head towards Alex, who appears to be under, to, to under butt-kicking Fiona's spell. I could kick some butt right now. Alex says, Ben, somebody's. I trudge across the floor to the stairway. Could the water that sprayed on me in the kitchen yesterday somehow be leaking upstairs? 
Ben's in the same spot as before, head tilted toward the ceiling. Where is it coming from, he says. Just then I see it. A single solitary blob of water forming on the ceiling, ready to fall. Alex, I yell. We have a water leak. The recliner snaps closed. That moved him. You're kidding. I'm trying to chill here, he says, stomping up the steps. Ben's mouth is hanging open, eyes fixed on the ceiling. Told ya. Alex scans the dry ceiling and sneers at me. Well? Water dripped from right there. I say pointing to a spot smack dab in the center of the hallway ceiling. Looks dry to me. You got me up for this? Alex rolls his eyes and backs down a step. Look, Dad, the carpet's wet, Ben says, crouching and sinking his finger in the damp spot. Alex rubs his puffed-out chest. Since you're so bright, you tell me where it's coming from. There are no water lines above the second floor. Ben's gaze returns to the ceiling. The steps creak under Alex's 300 pounds as he returns to burn notice when no case goes unsolved just the way Alex likes his life. I squeeze Ben's shoulder. Your dad's just tired because he was out all night on the murder. Ben wraps his arms around my waist and doesn't wipe off the kiss I put on his forehead. Mom, will you give me a brain drain? Ah, sure will, I say following him to his room. You haven't asked for me to rub your noggin in a month of Sundays. Always did help you go to sleep. Yeah, you used to tell me rubbing it drains the brain of extra energy. Ben flops face first onto his bed. Think I need one too, I say, rubbing his head and wishing mine would spin hard enough to make me drunk. My brain feels like one of those science thingies that that, that shake blood. Keep tapping those screens. Keep tapping those screens. I'm trying to hit a thousand likes today. I don't have time to deal with the water leak. I have to figure out what to do about my marriage and how to keep sane and not see things that may not be real, like demons. I have to figure out what to do with my life, how to live every day with purpose, and how to recreate the joy in living that bubbled inside of me when I was, when I was as a child and left easily. After I tuck Isaac in, I plop into my chair in the living room with my newest book, Left to Tell. Four pages later, what sounds like a dam burst in the hall. That was no drip, I say, glancing at Alex, who looks like a wide-mouthed bass. I slam my book shut and run to the stairway where water is running down the inside of the front door. As Alex and I stand in the foyer, at the bottom of the stairway, water forms pools on the hardwood floor. Two sets of eyes peer down the steps. I haven't seen the boys' eyes this big since the Christmas that they got dirt bikes. Wow, Ben says, glancing at Isaac. What happened, Isaac says. Good question, I say, wiggling my toes inside my silk socks and surveying the walls for the area that must have busted. Alex's neck is exploding with veins. You guys throwing water down here? Not me, Isaac says, twisting his pajamas around his finger. Me neither. I was in bed, Ben says, pointing toward his room as, as if I don't know where it is. I swipe my hand over the door panel and tap my, my wet fingers together, shaking my head in amazement. It really is water. Alex and I climb the stairs, scanning the walls and ceiling for, a sort of, for the source of the downpour. Water trails are running down both walls in the stairway, and drops from the ceiling are falling on our hands. But there's no visible damage, no water gushing through a hole in the wall. Must be a slow leak somewhere, Alex squints, his eyes roving. Didn't sound very slow, I say, instructing the boys to grab towels from the upstairs bathroom and sop up the... Of course, it didn't do it. And there we go. Okay, sop up the water on the second floor. I nab towels from the half bath by the kitchen and tackle the, uh, tackle the foyer area, drying the wall while water trickles from further up that I can reach. I'm going to bed, Alex says, passing by me, 
Nothing we can do about it tonight. I got an interview about the murder with the news at 9 in the morning. Not to debunk the rumor that the body was found headless. Crazy people. I cackle so hard my spit hits the wall, mingling with the liquid trails already on it. I hadn't heard that one at school. Better hold off on defining crazy. We're the ones attend standing in a drenched hallway where there aren't any busted water pipes, I say. I turn, towel in hand, to meet Alex's mocking eyes. He shakes his head. Sometimes you are so stupid, Sav. The other night you sat up in bed praying for evil to leave the house. You might have lost your mind, but I haven't, he says, and heads upstairs. I wasn't saying the water is evil. That would be crazy. I thought I was only stating the obvious. But my obvious is, is, is his denial. Denial, I guess, that he can't explain everything and that I'm smart enough to admit I can't. He must have just pretended to enjoy my quirky sense of humor when we dated. If he'd have revealed how he really felt about me back then, I'd have dumped him. Well, I like to think I would have dumped him. Because to think otherwise would mean I sabotaged my very existence. That I'm not only too weak to speak up for myself now, but I was too weak even before Alex told me I was. That would mean that my weakness is mine to own and not Alex's fault at all. Now, how would I deal with that? If in order to maintain the facade of my marriage, I must create the illusion that I'm oblivious to Alex's put-downs, then I will play my part, both for my sake and for his. He doesn't want to believe he hurts me, and I don't want to believe he can. So I climb into bed and nudge Alex's arm. You know, I was crazy when you fell in love with me, but that didn't stop you from marrying me. I say, waiting for a gesture of reassurance that he's not irritated with me anymore. Night, crazy girl, he says, rolling over to face the river. I take a deep breath. Tomorrow, maybe, I'll, I'll be better at making him happy. But probably not. Not unless I morph into a puppy. A pettable, non-talking canine without a desire to communicate an original thought. The next morning, sun streams through the bathroom blinds, partially lighting the hallway as I convest the walls. But they bear no signs of water. Alex already hit the highway to work the murder, and I'm energized by the thought of his absence. Maybe I can think my way through this day without him around. Okay. Again, if you if you like what you hear, help me out. Tap that screen. Tap that screen. I'm looking for likes. Just starting out on TikTok. So the more likes, the better. So tap that screen. Can we try for 500 likes? Let's try for 500. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure he'd rather be running down dirt balls and searching for a water leak anyway. The boys and I advanced to the kitchen for the five-minute breakfast scramble of microwavable bacon and protein bars. As I spout off nutritional advice on how, to be, on, on how eating protein before sweets helps regulate sugar and build muscle, the sound of a power washer pummeling the front door interrupts my spiel. The boys whiz through the kitchen door toward the sound. I follow their lead, and we meet up in the foyer where water streams down the steep walls and drips from the ceiling. We stagger up the steps one behind the other, like drunks and dancing, exclaiming how weird and amazing this downpour is. The walls are undamaged, no pipes peeking through, the, peeking through, just water. It's as if an invisible water hose just sprayed the hallway. I remember the demon's face that appeared in my mirror a few nights ago. A perfume of uneasiness settles on my skin, but I shake it off. Let's get going, boys. We're going to be late. I'll call your dad and he'll have to deal with this. I grab the slippery handrail as a dollop of water hits my forehead and runs over my eyelid. Crap, I say, dabbing my face with my sleeve. On the way out the door, I wrench my cell out of my pocket, 
out of the pocket of my book bag and call Alex. Hey, honey, I know you're busy, but water just sprayed all over the hall again. Damn, Savvy, can't you take care of something by yourself for once? I'm working, Murr. I don't know what to do. There's water every, I say. Gotta go, in the middle of something, Alex says, and hangs up. I love you too, dear, I say for my sake, as much as for the boys who are listening. Alex isn't on the other end, but I can pretend he treats me with respect. Create my own reality. It sure feels better than the raw truth. Alex thinks I'm inept because I can't stop this water leak. My own husband can't stand talking to me, but I bet Ryan won't mind a little chat. I haven't responded to his last text asking me to hook up. So before the first class charges in, I scroll to Regina. Ryan's sweeto name on my contact list. Regina is an old friend from college, and I figure if Alex ever sees the number on the cell phone bill, I'm covered. That is, unless he uses his position to find out whose number it really is. But the precaution makes me feel safer than doing nothing. I text him that I, that I can meet him that evening, and he shoots back that he's free. Brianna is staying at her mom's tonight. When the 3.30 bell rings for school dismissal, I call Alex to see what he plans on doing to stop the water in the hall. He informs me he's going to be late and not even thought about it, so I decide to entreat the aid of my handy father-in-law. If anyone can fix this leak, it's Keegan. Moments after the boys and I pull into the garage, Keegan's red truck is in the drive behind us. Toolbox in hand, my seasoned plumber limps up the drive. He's not going to let a bum me from years of year spent laying pipe buckle his pride. The boys dash past me to hug their grandpa before running into the house. Keegan holds the door as I juggle through with a stack of papers. I smile. You can add door holder to your list of diverse talents. His cocoa eyes twinkle like Alex's used to when he looked at me. Just doing what I know to do. Men nowadays don't respect women like they should. I want to say I'm into that, but don't want to stir his curiosity as to how Alex and I are getting along. That would just backfire on me. Keegan would tell his sister, Claire, who would not so somebody tell Alex that I'm causing contention in the family or being or, or being a shitster in Alex's lingo. I stand a foot taller at the thought of Alex asking me what contention means. Yep, Keegan says, setting his toolbox on the floor. Whole world's gone to hell. Reality TV and the doggone internet. Just, there's no such thing as dignity anymore. Grandpa Ben says, can I help? Isaac breaks a Pop-Tart in half. Yeah, Grandpa, can, I, can we? Sure, kiddos, as soon as I know what I need to do. So where's this leak that needs a fixin', sweetheart? Keegan says, his hillbilly accent blending with his Irish brogue. He never lived in Ireland, but his parents immigrated to the States in the 40s and brought back their, and brought their dialects with them. Keegan's question is easier to answer by showing than telling, so I motion him to follow me to the upstairs hall where we find water bubbles everywhere. I point to the spot where the first drip on Ben's dog and fell from the ceiling and tell him how Alex said there aren't even water lines up there. Roof could be leaking, Keegan says. I'll check out the attic. At 60 years old, Keegan is agile enough to maneuver under a stepladder, flashing in hand, flashlight in hand and into the only access to the attic, a three-foot opening in Ben's closet ceiling. If the kids were up there, they talked to me, they talked to me to let them explore the cobweb polluted rafters too, but I strategically placed Pillsbury's finest cinnamon rolls on the counter before coming upstairs. Ten minutes later, an insulation-covered Keegan emerges from probing the crap recesses when a splat sounds in the hall. His furry eyebrows squiggle to a question. Good golly, girly. That what you've been a-hearing, he says, stepping off the last rung. 
He follows me to the hall as the boys traipse up the stairs and join us in the staring showdown with the ceiling, as if an unseen veil will lift and reveal the tangible origin of the water that's running down the walls. With one hand on his hip and another combing his fingers through his silver street terror, Keegan says, Attic is bone dry. Futile scavenger hunt up there. Never seen anything like this in all my years of repairing. He points at the water dripping intermittently from the ceiling. Could be condensation. Might be coming to the ductwork from the heat pump, I reckon. But how's it coming to the ceiling? For 14 years, Keegan's been my knight with a knack for repair, and I thought he'd save me from this virtual tsunami. Keegan, if you're stumped, I think we're sunk, I say. Stumped indeed, Savvy. Keegan folds the ladder and has it to bend. Put this back in the closet for your mom, since there's nothing I can do here. You boys want to come out and help me put those windows in, in the treehouse? I can't refuse to gleam in their eyes when they plead my way for approval. The boys clamor out the door while I dry the walls and wash my sweat and, and wash myself. I'll just get sweaty again when I get to Ryan's, but that's fresh sweat and freshness and skanky. I ring Ryan and he says he'll pick me up at the pharmacy in 15 minutes. Hearing his voice on the other end, I imagine the hot whisperings will soon blow. Hang on a second. He'll soon blow into my ear. He'll be saying, oh, babe, I missed, I missed you. But I'll be hearing, oh, babe, I missed you. That makes sense, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> Keep tapping on that screen. Keep tapping on that screen. Yeah. Show me some love, everybody. Same thing with, with Facebook and all the other places. I text Alex and tell him I'm running a few errands in Coraltown, just in case he spots me on the road. Alex thinks I'm stupid and capable of solving a home repair that even Keegan can't fix. But I know I'm smart enough to reach out for human connections, for the human connections I'm craving, even smart enough, I hope, to not get caught doing it. Ryan and I rendezvous in the drugstore parking lot. I hop into his Blackboard Explorer, slink down in the loose seat, and ride the few blocks to his house. As the garage door eases open, I ease up and notice a single red toolbox sitting along the finished wall in the practically barren garage. Beside, it sets two plastic totes, a push mower, ladder, and a pink 10-speed bicycle. It would take a month to inventory the junk in my garage. If garages are a reflection of our lives, mine's overflowing. And I don't want to peck I don't want to peck around in either. Both are filled with useless outdated trappings. Some needing repair, and some sentimental, and some only suitable for disposal. Ryan grasps my knee and squeezes my thigh. My garage inspection is over. We trip up the steps to the house, giggling and groping each other. Ryan presses his chest to mine, pushing me against the refrigerator door. I push him off at me. You're bad, making this church girl. You're bad. You're bad, I say, removing my clothes. Until I don't have a stitch on except an orange thong and boots. I'm just trying to do this. Shivering from a draft on, a draft on my bare butt cheeks, that are more than picking out, I bend over deep into the fridge, knowing guys dig the whole naked shoes on thing and locate the chocolate syrup while Ryan pops open a beer and kicks off his jeans. I squeeze some syrup into a bowl and prance around the island toward the microwave. Just trying to figure out. With my hand just inches from the handle, I see flames dancing inside. I scream, and in a flash, Ryan is beside me. What? He asks, prying the bowl from my hand. As I stare into the empty microwave, what's wrong, Ryan says, placing his free hand on my shoulder. I blink. The microwave's not on fire. 
I can't tell Ryan I'm hallucinating. Stress must be playing tricks on me. Just joking around, little bear, I say, grabbing the bowl and placing it inside. Ryan wraps his arms around me from behind, his chest on my bare back. He kisses the nape of my neck. Boy, you're a crazy girl, he says. I don't tell him I may actually be just that. Ryan's hand glides down my arm and he twirls me like a ballerina to face him. Okay, balancing the bowl of warm chocolate with Ryan pinching me and nudging me backward toward the bedroom is challenging, but I manage without spilling a drop. Okay. Memories of mystical water melt like M&Ms on the hood of the sun-drenched car as I tease him with my tongue. We'll go with that. All right, and we'll move on from that. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Ryan rolls off the bed, washes, washes himself, and walks to the kitchen while I lie on the bed, wishing he would at least pour some chocolate on me. <laughs> okay. I hear my thoughts like I'm reading a book and realize that the hollow feeling inside me can't be filled by a dozen orgasms. What I really want is for him to hold me and talk to me, but I don't know how to tell them that I, I want to feel close to him. Ryan knows Alex and I have problems, but he doesn't know how close we are to divorcing and how much I'd like to know if he would be interested in more than just this casual affair. I march to the kitchen, scoop up my clothes, and while I dress, spout off about the sham of an educational system we have in Luton County and how the problem extends beyond West Virginia. The checks and balances aren't working to educate the children, only to punish the teachers and to create an endless supply of alternate routes for students to, gra to graduate, even if they won't abide by school policies. Can't read and don't attend school, but at least they, are to, at least they aren't counted as dropouts, which makes the school look like a failure. Ryan digs into a bowl of ice cream and nods. I don't know if he heard a word I said, but at least he didn't interrupt me. I return home feeling compelled to make up for screwing under the pretense of shopping, so I throw a load of jeans in the washer and scrub a few plates, as if I could absolve my indiscretion through a few suds in the sink and freshly laundered clothes. I head upstairs to shower the scent of sin from my skin and notice the hallway is dry. The kitchen door bangs shut while I'm in the bathroom, slipping into my PJs. Hey, Mom, Isaac yells, pounding up the stairs. In here, sweetie, Grandpa drop you off? Isaac stands in the doorway. Yeah, can Tommy stay over Friday? His dad and Mom are going on a date, Isaac says, snarl snarling his nose like I just farted. You won't always think girls are disgusting. I say, ruffling his wavy hair as I brush it past him into the bathroom. Sure he can stay. Grandma Lenny always said she didn't have to entertain your Aunt Luce and me as much as when we had friends over. Water slaps the hallway, and I run into the hall, knocking Isaac in, into the wall with my, with my momentum. Ben is standing in his bedroom door, water plopping from the ceiling onto his crew cut and dripping off his chin. You gotta be kidding me, I say, turning and addressing Isaac. You were standing here? Did you see where it came from? I think it came from there, he says, pointing to the middle of the ceiling. For this much water to be dripping down the walls, a pipe must have burst. But if it did, where's the doggone hole in the wall? Unless. Guys, I need to ask you something. Listen to what I have to say before you say anything. I look first to Ben and Isaac, maintaining eye contact until their gaze convenes, convinces me they are really listening. Is this a joke, please? But Mom, Ben says. Let me finish. 
I say, raising my chin, index finger pointing skyward. Please tell me now before your dad and I go to a lot of effort and expense to fix something that's not broken. Water drops onto my head, trickling down my forehead and through my hair as if soaking me can shut me up. Is this a joke? If this is a joke, it's a good one. No harm done, but, I'm, but it's definitely enough. Time to stop. I nod to Ben's acknowledging his input is now welcome. You think we're throwing the water? My oldest folds his arm across his chest and shakes his head. Well, I'm not doing it. Isaac can tell you. I don't even have I don't even have water. His look anchors his little brother. Did I? I didn't see any, Isaac points to the ceiling. Just from up there. You both swear, I say. If you come clean now, I promise I won't tell your dad. You won't be punished either. Ben's shaking his head and Isaac says, Mom, if we lie, we go to hell. And I'm not going to hell over some stupid water. Isaac's got a point. I don't want to go to hell either, but I do have more reason to go than he does. I think I'm in purgatory now, if there is such a place. This water leak doesn't make any sense, and I'm torn as discern uh, and I'm torn as discern what's real, and I'm torn as discerning what's real from what may be imagination. I know absolutely nothing except that the love I feel at times, like when the boys' faces light up and wish me a happy birthday, completely surprises my expectation of joy. But when the look in Alex's eyes conveys an anger, I can't decipher. I feel like a void, irrelevant being, being trying to. Oh, I feel like a void, irrelevant being trying to wring an ounce of pleasure from barbed wire. Okay, I hope you're telling the truth. I say, I just had to check to give you the chance to tell me now before this gets out of hand. This is just ridiculous. I feel if I feel a few dirty towels from the laundry basket. Toss one to Ben for his wet body and wipe down my closet door with the other. My cell rings and I notice two under test from Alex. I answer and he says, hey, going to be late, interviewing one of Hank's neighbors who may be a suspect. They had a big property dispute a month ago. You get my message? Just saw two texts from you, but haven't read them because... Of course not. Don't know why I bother sending them. But the water, I say, waving, I say, I say, waving the boys to the rooms as I step into mine and shut the door. Will you just listen for a minute? This place, I don't have time for your bitching about the water, Alex says. I swallow and continue. You won't hear anything I say right now. I just thought you'd like to know I'm going to be late, but there's always got to be an issue with you. He hesitates. You there? Yes, I say, looking out my window to the, cr to the crows perched on the telephone lines feeling like I just ate one. Anyway, I left a message for you to call the plumber tomorrow. Dad called me and said you had him come to the house, like he's got time to keep up our house and his and Aunt Claire's. He had time to help me. Okay, he had time to help you hang the damn drywall in the garage. Okay. Savvy. This is why I can't talk to you. You always have to be right. I'm glad I don't have dinner on for this for him. I tell him that. But he just keep talking and I don't want to hear anymore. Who are you interviewing? I say wondering if his interview is some is some woman bent over a bed rail in the police barracks. I told you a suspect. Don't you ever listen? I heard you. Just thought you'd tell me the suspect's name. I might know them. I sit in Grandma's Lenny's old chair and rock to a squeaky rhythm. I'll call the plumbers tomorrow. Bye. I press my lips firm. Not another word is coming out until I can say something nice even if I never talk again. I cradle my head in my hands and rock. I rock my babies in this chair. I imagine them growing up, me protecting them from the ugliness and anger like I'm feeling right now, teaching them right from wrong. 
but I'm a farce. So how can I teach them to live right and speak the truth? I insisted they tell me the truth about the water, but I lied to them and to Alex about my whereabouts when I'm off sleeping around with another man. If Alex could speak to me respectfully and would stop getting angry for no reason, maybe I could get close to him again. I could understand him getting upset if he were to find out I messed around with Ryan. But to get mad because I didn't see his text is ridiculous. I opened my journal that glimmers in the moonlight as if it were bedazzled with sequins. I slide my hand over the handbook cover, the hard, sorry, the hardback cover, and wonder if my eyes are playing tricks on me. Like when I saw the, the fire in the microwave. And I write. I can't read it, so we're just going to have to go with it. Finding irony in students benefiting from my warped sense of humor seems to drag me out of the dishes in despair. Of despair. I slide my prized diary beneath the magazine in my nightstand, wishing Alex would find it, read it, and confront me so that I would have to deal with the reality of what I'm doing. Maybe if he read it, he would see my page. He would see himself from my perspective, or perhaps if he caught me cheating, I'd be so scared he would divorce me that I'd stop. I'm in the kitchen, June cleavering some sandwiches together for the boys, when Isaac pops in, a frown on his face, his eyes darting around the room. Mom, a witch just flew through my room. I choked back a laugh. A witch? Oh, honey, there's been so much going on here. You're tired. I looked down at the slabs of meat. You've been watching vampire shows? I just watched Dukes of Hazard, Isaac says, digging his chin into the neck of the t-shirt he's wearing. Mom, I swear it was on a broom. I wrap the sandwiches in a paper towel and grab Isaac's hand that he doesn't jerk away. Let's check it out, I say, trying to sound serious as we walk hand in hand on the hunt for a witch. I'm reminded Isaac is still, is still just a kid and not growing up as fast as I think he is. I smile, thinking it's not just any witch we're after but one on a broom. There's no doubt long gone. After handing Ben a sandwich, I step into Isaac's room while the witch seer huddles close to the wall in the hall with petrified eyes. Poor little guy. He must be stressed out from his water leak, too. His lamp is on, television running. Nothing out of the ordinary. I motion him to my room where I settle in the rocker, searching Isaac's face for a sign of a smile. But all I see is earnestness. Bud, I say. You know, it's hard to believe a witch was in your room. Isaac sits Indian style on the floor beside me and says, I can't believe it either, Mom. It came from my closet, zipped right by my bed. Honey, the world's full of atoms and molecules. Excuse me, my allergies. In the air that I can't see. But I believe they are there. But a witch? I mean, as I rock, the same squeak that accompanied Grandma when she rocked me as a baby seems to set an eerie tone on the witch subject. Well, I saw it, Isaac says, chewing the neckline on his shirt like a cow chewing cud. I didn't expect to see it, either. Expect, I say, smiling, and I'm sure you didn't. What did it look like? Surely I can convince him that what he thinks he saw was his imagination. This book is based on, a, is based on, on her true story experiences of living in this house. So uh, that's what's so cool about this, you know. Uh, please do hit that screen. Hit those likes. Hit those hearts. Show me some love over on TikTok. Show me some love. Same thing with uh, Facebook and everywhere else as we continue. Just like in movies, she had on a black dress, riding a broom, Isaac says. What about a hat? I don't remember. It was fast. I'm familiar with my boys and students joking with me. They usually embellish the story so much that they giggle or look away, but Isaac is stoic. He scoots onto his knees. I'm scared. Can I sleep with Ben? 
He hugs my leg, and I realize that if he really believes he saw a witch, maybe he's going crazy like me. After all, I saw flames in a microwave that wasn't even on. I tell Isaac to wait in my room while I ease into beds to finagle the sleeping arrangement with talk of brotherly love and promise of ten bucks. A few hours later, Alex slips on the logging show in the bedroom. I'd rather be eaten by piranhas than hear all the yakking on reality TV, but I barely dive into the bed beside him. Eyes focused on the show. Alex asked me to scratch his back. I'm curious about the interview with Hank's neighbor, but I won't give him the satisfaction of knowing he has information on anything else I want. I slowly sleep, sweep my short, my short nails across his freckled skin. Harder, Alex says. I dig in, wondering who's been boring her claws into him recently. There's a faint knock on the door, and I yell, Come in. Ben steps through. Mom, he huffs, bracing his hands on his hips. Isaac won't scoot over. I can't sleep with his butt on me. Why is he sleeping with you anyway, Alex says. Just tell him to go back to his room. Wait, man, I say sitting up. Alex, I had to work it out. Isaac was having the sound of water spraying. In the hall, prompts Ben to duck in the room. Oh, man, Ben says, but I keep talking. Isaac was having a hard time sleeping, and Ben agreed he could sleep with him. No way am I mentioning a witch is behind the deal. Well, apparently it's not okay, Alex says, flipping off the TV. Go on, Ben, go to bed. It's late. And somebody, dry the damn hallway. Alex, why can't you just let me handle this? I throw back the covers, traipsing through the wet hall, and catch up with Ben, who is already at the threshold of his room. I reach with one hand and squeeze his shoulder, quietly asking him just to hear me out. I promise him a sleepover of his own next weekend, complete with a Nerf gun battle in the basement and ice brownies. He agrees with the roll of his eyes. I place a pillow between the two butts I bore, throw a towel on the floor, and flop my exhausted butt back into my bed. The light's off, but Alex is still awake, and there's enough fury in the air to generate heat for all of Alaska. You have to go against everything I say, don't you, he says. I think you went against what I said. I'm the one who made the arrangement so everyone could actually sleep tonight. You really didn't have anything in it. I fluff my pillow and lay flat on my back, staring into the darkness, and wishing Alex would meet his demon in the mirror tonight. Maybe he would be a little nicer. You baby Isaac way too much. Even Dad said so the other day. He's going to be a sissy. You don't. You didn't treat Ben that way. Alex heaves over to his side and back, his back to me. I'm relieved that not even his foot is touching me. I don't want to breathe the same air he is, let alone have any part of him touch me. I was trying to do what's best for everyone. That's, that's a concept you apparently don't comprehend, I say, wiggling my toes and remembering the fresh coat of cherry polish on them. I smile in the darkness. I'll retaliate against Alex before the before the polish wears off. Before the polish, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll retaliate against Alex before the polish wears off. Nab me, nab, nab me as someone to dig my nails into. All right, that's it. We'll continue next Sunday at Chapter 6. Um, and the other thing to remember, um, there's I'm trying to get really consistent with TikTok. Let me get back over on main screen here. Okay, I'm still on. Yay. Um. I'm trying to be like I'm trying to be really consistent with the days I do this, like I do for my like I do for my regular people on the other apps. So it's pretty much every Sunday at 6:30 p.m. Pacific, I'll be reading from this from, from a book. It may not be this one, it may be a different book, but I'll be reading from a paranormal themed book. And uh, if I have a guest that uh, cancels at the last minute, I'll be on TikTok as well, just like I am now. It could be you know any day re reading from the book as well. Okay, but I want to thank everybody for uh, 
joining in today. I know we're all winding down our weekend. Got to get some rest, you know, rest up for tomorrow and the whole week ahead. Yikes. But I want to thank everybody for coming on. And uh, if you guys could throw me a, just a few more screen taps over on TikTok, I'd appreciate it. I really would. I'd like to pre- get those likes up. Get those likes up. Uh, thank you very much, people on Facebook. Um, again, if you like what you saw today and you haven't done so already, please hit, you know, please send me some likes. And please be sure to uh, follow me over on Facebook. Hit that follow button. I'm always looking for followers. YouTube, same thing. I'm looking for subscribers, trying to build up my YouTube. Almost there. I've got about 450 to go to hit my 1,000 marks. So we're rolling right along. TikTok, uh, I'm trying to build up over there. I want to start doing, uh, you know, once I once this all gets more consistent and I start doing things with Karen Clark, like like readings and telling ghost stories, you know, for our ghost investigations and doing lives from that, I'm going to start a subscription. We're going to get that going too because we're, we're going to be offering some really, really cool stuff. Okay. Anyway, tomorrow's guest, uh, I'm going to direct myself over here. If you're interested in joining us for the lives that I do, the regular interviews I do, uh, it's usually every day at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, but there are days like tomorrow when my guest is over in the U.K. and I have to go earlier. So my guest tomorrow will be Gary Heseltine. He will be on at 2 p.m. Pacific. We're going to be talking UFOs, and we're also going to be talking about an, um, a bunch of sightings that happened in England and uh, near, near an airbase. Okay? So we're going to be talking about stuff like that. So that will be tomorrow's topic, and I think you guys are going to find it interesting. Check out uh, YouTube.com, uh, YouTube.com forward slash California Haunts Radio. Uh, at California, at forward, I think YouTube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. And check it out because that has all the information about tomorrow's episode of California Haunts Radio. So you can go over there and watch it live tomorrow at 2 p.m. Pacific. Okay, guys, I'm done. Have a great weekend, rest of your weekend, and I will see you. Hit the right button. Okay, I think that's it. Yes. See ya. Okay. As for you people, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. I will see you guys tomorrow at 2 p.m. Pacific. And uh, yeah, we'll have a good show. I just got to kind of stop. Ooh, the video's doing weird crap. Look at that. Wow. Hang on. The hell's going on with the video? That's weird, huh? I've never seen it freeze up like that before on my end. Huh, it's one of those days. Anyway, I will see you guys tomorrow, 2 p.m. Pacific with Gary Heseltine. Have a great rest of your weekend. Let's just throw the ending out here. Okay. <laughs>